0: Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor podcast. Today, we have a special guest joining us. It is Alejandro Avina Cadena. He is a Los Angeles native and currently a fourth-year medical student at the UC Irvine School of Medicine. Specifically, he is part of the Prime LC program, which he'll tell us a little bit more about in a moment. He is currently taking some time off from his medical school curriculum, and completing a master's in public health at UC Irvine. So when he graduates from medical school, he'll have an MD as well as a master's in public health. Welcome, Alejandro. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: So, Alejandro, to start off, I mentioned this Prime LC program that you're a part of. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, of course. So the Primacy Program, stands for the Program in Medical Education, and then the LC stands for the Latino community. Prime is found in a number of different UC medical schools across California. Um, the one at UCI is specifically for the Latino community, but you have Prime Health Inequities, Prime Rural, Prime Underserved. So at UC Irvine, it's, this is a five-year program where it includes a master's degree, so that's kind of why I'm in the master's in public health right now. and It's it, the first couple years you do with the regular, everybody else in your class. So you go through your regular classes, your anatomy, your, you know, your bio camp for the first two years, you do third year, just like everyone else. When you start doing like your surgery rotation, your family medicine rotation after third year is kind of where things split up. So I finished my third year and then I'm currently in my master's in public health year. After this year ends, I'll be going back in June and I'll kind of restart medical school as a fourth year and then graduate next year. So, in total, it's a five year program with a ton of different experiences built in between.
0: That's wonderful. I love that that type of program exists. How did you find out about that program and what interested you about it?
1: Yeah, honestly, I found out about it just from word of mouth. I was doing, I came to UCI as an undergrad as well, so I was doing research here. And a lot of the, I, I was doing research here for about three years, and every year there was this group of students that were, I, in my head, were just really cool and really had that kind of the mindset that I, I had wanting to pursue medicine. And they were in the post program here at UCI, and a lot of them ended up pursuing the Primal C program and kind of just keeping in contact with them, learning a little bit more about it year after year. That's kind of how I first came to know the Prime program. Why I chose it was, for me, it was kind of an easy decision. I knew at my core why I wanted to enter medicine, what those reasons were, and to find an entire program like Primal C that is dedicated to that mission and that goal that parallels so beautifully with kind of why I wanted to do medicine, for me, was kind of a slam dunk. I'm Mexican-American, so for having an entire five-year program dedicated to service and leadership for the Latino community, for me, it was a no-brainer.
0: Wonderful. And how are you liking that program so far? Has it met your expectations?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think the program itself has a lot of different parts to it. So they have a CLS course, which is a Chicano Latino Studies course that you're able to have for the first couple years. We have every medical school has their how to doctor course. Ours is called Clinical Foundations, where you learn how to take a history of physical basics in the first and second years of med school. Our patients come in and we learn how to do all of those things in Spanish. So all of our standardized patients speak Spanish, which I think is wonderful. So it has a lot of really, really amazing parts of the program. For me, the best part was by far the people that you got to meet. I had this idea of why I wanted to enter medicine, to serve the underserved and to kind of just sum it up. And to find a program itself was amazing. I entered medical school and now I had a cohort of 16. I had 15 other people right next to me who felt the same way, who had the same mission and the same passion for this community. That is kind of like the family that you end up having within med school. So they're the ones who, whenever things get tough, either academically, socially, politically, those are the people that I'm able to lean on and we kind of support each other. So to have that family within Prime that I'm able to network with and kind of grow in medical school with, that's kind of been the best part of the whole program.
0: I love that. I love that it exists, like I mentioned. So let's backtrack a little bit. You mentioned that you're Mexican-American, and you mentioned that part of the reason you went into medicine was to serve the underserved. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing. You mentioned you're an L.A. native. What was growing up like for you?
1: Yeah, so I am a first generation here in um, California. Both my parents were born in Mexico. My dad was born in Mexico City, and my mom was born in Mexicali, just across the border. So my brothers and I are the first ones to be born and raised here. We're all born and raised in Los Angeles County. We grew up right next to, in, in Montebello, it's a small little town right next to East LA. So most of the people around us kind of shared the same identity as us. So in that case, I felt kind of fortunate where I, honestly, I saw my culture represented pretty well in school growing up throughout high school. But I knew kind of one of those early on that knew I wanted to do medicine, but it was just difficult because uh, being the first generation, I didn't really know what that meant. I just know, hey, I wanted to go to med school. So in my head, graduate high school, maybe go to college for a little bit and then apply to med school and then you're done and it's easy as that. So that path was the difficult part, kind of figuring out how to navigate everything for the first time and not necessarily having footprints to follow, which kind of lended itself to... Uh, myriad of mistakes along the way. Yeah, I, I think that one of the hardest parts was kind of just trying to navigate everything for the first time and figuring out what FAFSA was, what is the AMCAT, what is the difference between a UC, Cal State, community college, trying to figure that all of that out on your own as you're trying to pursue medicine was difficult.
0: Definitely, it is way more challenging if you don't have people that have been through it, for sure. You mentioned that you sort of had this Seed in your mind this idea at a young age before college that you wanted to become a doctor. Was there anything in particular that drew you to that idea? Did you see doctors on television? Did you just you know admire your own doctor? What was it that planted that seed for you?
1: No, I really didn't see too many doctors who kind of looked at me. I was fortunate there were a few growing up, but for the most part, I so I had childhood asthma, and I remember having to go to the hospital a couple times to just kind of be put in you know be given oxygen just being being helped out. Mm -hmm. So in my head, I always associated those people with the white coat as kind of helping me out. So really early on I associated the white coat with being good, right? And kind of being the ones to help out those who needed help. So I just I just knew at that point it's like, cool, I wanna be a doctor. No idea what that meant. As I kind of, you know, progressed a little bit more, you know, my brothers and I, we've had to kind of act as interpreters. And my, my dad speaks very English, very well, my mom, not so much. So there's been times where we've had to go to the doctor with her and we have to be the interpreter and, you know, for that or for family members. And no, for me, that wasn't normal. That was kind of just, oh yeah, of course you're going to interpret. Like, why do you not, why would you not interpret for your mom? Why would you not interpret for your aunt or uncle? So I had that kind of playing in my head as I had the idea of like, I just want to be a doctor. It really wasn't until community college after high school where I, all of these things could maybe like started blending a little bit where I started first, like I figured out what shadowing meant. So I started shadowing physicians. I started doing a little bit more of that pre-med idea of what you need to be doing. So when I started realizing that like, Hey, a lot of this stuff that my family had to go through and that we've been, you know, tasked to overcome, is it a family thing? This is a systemic thing. This is something that isn't just something my family in LA is, is facing, but this is kind of a something that many people who share the same identity are having to go overcome. So when I started seeing that aspect of like, this is kind of a historical deep-rooted inequities within the healthcare system, that's where I kind of started going from, I have an interest in medicine to like, I kind of have a passion for medicine. And then My lived experiences growing up and my exposure with, you know, with volunteering, all of that kind of just made its way for me to just really turn that into a passion. It's like this is not only do I want to go to medical school, but this is who I want to help. This is kind of who I want to dedicate my career to.
0: So what was it like for you in high school? You know, did you know you wanted to go to college. Uh, one unique aspect of your story is that you started out at a, at a community college. So tell us about what that transition was like from high school to college.
1: So that was rough. High school was a rough time. <laughs> um, not only did I have issues kind of, you know trying to figure out academics in college and beyond, but I had to figure out academics from, you know, from first grade moving on. High school, I was definitely not the star student and I talked, you know, I mentioned this whenever I talked to high school students or, you know, freshmen in college where my grades weren't good in high school. I remember maybe like mid 2.0 or like a 2.0 grade point average at some point in high school, like my grades weren't good. I just didn't know how to study. I didn't know how to ask questions. I didn't know how to ask for help. All of that kind of put together just was not a very good combination for my success in high school. I vividly remember asking a college counselor, you know, like, I didn't know what the difference between UCLA and ELAC was, ELAC being East Los Angeles Community College. So I was like, hey, I'm really excited for colleges. Like, I kind of want to go to community colleges. And I just remember that feeling of being ignored. You're the student going to community college. Hold on. I'll talk to you later. I have someone wanting to go to UCLA. I have someone applying to UC Berkeley. Let me talk to them first. So I remember feeling kind of being ignored in high school. So all of that kind of just made it a little bit rough. Fortunately, afterwards, I never really lost that like that pursuit of wanting to do medicine. So I knew I, want, I needed to continue education. So I was like, let me just go ahead and continue. So because I did sports and I wanted to continue doing some sports throughout college, I ended up applying to Mount San Antonio College. So I went to Mount Sac over in Pomona here in California. I spent three years there. And I think that's when I kind of first started realizing it's like, this is what a mentor is. This is how you ask for help. This is how you navigate these steps moving forward. So I really high school was rough. And I feel like if I would have stopped there, I really don't know where I would have ended up. So just, I was fortunate enough to be able to continue pursuing education and making it to community college and then from there kind of continuing.
0: I appreciate that you mentioned that, because I think a lot of people have the idea in their heads that if you want to be a doctor, You have to be getting straight A's from the time you're five years old, and and that's the only way to do it. But it's really not true. There are just as many paths to becoming a doctor as there are doctors. So I appreciate you sharing that aspect of your story. So tell us, what was your community college experience like, and then the experience of transitioning to a four-year university?
1: Community college was kind of when I first started reaching out to professors or teachers at that point. The most important person, I think, in community college was my organic chemistry professor. I remember him specifically, Dr. Newman, uh, my OCAM professor over at Mount SAC. Learning OCAM and organic chemistry, a lot of people kind of start memorizing. It's like, oh, I need to memorize all of these different things and memorize everything in OCAM versus the way he taught us was you have to understand how these things happen, right? Like this atom or this thing wants to move in this direction because of this and really thinking about why you want it. So he's the first one who really started thinking about, hey, think about this process. Don't just strictly memorize everything. Really start digging deep and thinking about why does this happen? Why does that molecule turn into this molecule? There's a reasoning behind that stuff. So I took that class really early on and I kept in contact with him. And he was actually one of my letter writers five or so years later to medical school. During community college, I was able to balance being in track for a couple of years in college and then just balancing my grades. I was, you know, I, that's when I kind of started learning to, you know, go to tutoring, go to asking for help, office hours. So I started doing significantly better than I was doing in high school. And by the time I got ready to graduate after the three, or not graduate, to transfer after the three years, I felt like I had it. Like I, I knew what I'm supposed to be doing. I knew how to study. I knew how to do everything. So I felt confident when I transferred over to UC Irvine as an undergraduate. Until a kind of reality just hit me in the head. And it's like, hey, you learned how to study and be efficient at community college. This is a whole different beast. I'm going from taking classes with 10, 20 maybe people in class to three, 400. <laughs> so the uh-huh. environment was just so different. And I kind of grew up with a lot of the people that I was taking classes with in community college were maybe a little bit older. They had a, a specific path that they wanted to go. They knew why they're taking these classes. Versus I'm taking classes at you know at UC Irvine with people who maybe just graduated high school and maybe are still trying to figure things out. So that was just a change. So I felt like once I transferred, it's starting all over, the first couple of years were again a, a struggle until my last year. That's when I started feeling confident again. And it's kind of just this up and down. You feel like you're kind of making it, and then you get to the next step, and then you start over. And you feel like you're kind of making it, you get to the next step, you kind of start over. And it's the exact same way from UCI to the med school graduating, I felt like I had it. I felt like I knew how to study. And then med school starts and again, you kind of get hit with reality. It's like, let's start over, let's reorganize and reprioritize how you're gonna be studying.
0: I can definitely relate to that. You know, in high school, I was a pretty good student and I felt like, okay, I got this. I can do well on tests, I can study. And then college was a slap in the face. And then college, I made it through, finally got the hang of it. Then med school was a slap in the face. So it's a really common experience. We talk a lot on our podcast about growth mindset and just, you know, keeping that in mind that just because something is hard and kicks your butt sometimes, it doesn't mean that you can't get better. And I think your story kind of shows that each step does get harder, but you can do it. You just have to put your mind to it. You have to be willing to persevere like it sounds you have. So you mentioned you see your mind the transition was difficult what was it like finishing your pre-medical school requirements and then the process of applying to medical school?
1: So I didn't realize I finished my med school requirements, frankly, because I didn't know what med school requirements were. Uh-huh. <laughs> I decided to major in biology just because I thought that's what you had to do to become a doctor and go to medical school. Luckily, I was fortunate that I actually enjoyed it. So it made the process a little bit easier, but it really wasn't until towards the end where I tried to meet with a couple counselors and that's when I maybe so I did three years at community college and three years at UC Irvine. I think my second year at UC Irvine when I finally met with the counselor, and I was like, "Hey, this is my plan." That's when I first was introduced to like, "Hey, cool. When are you going to take your MCAT? Have you finished all your prereqs?" And I'm like, "What is a prereq?" So that's kind of when I started uh-huh. putting all that stuff out. So graduating, I knew right? I, I still had this whole idea. I got it stuck in my head that I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. This is what I want to do. Graduating, I started realizing it's like. This is still what I want to do. But I kind of starting to realize, like, maybe I don't have the scores or the grades that I need to be competitive. You know, I was sitting there with thinking that in order to go to med school, you needed to have a 4.0, a bunch of publications and research and glowing letters of rec. And you needed to be this perfect student. And I knew that I wasn't. So I kind of seeked out a couple of different avenues, I guess, to kind of make my way to medical school. One of them, luckily, I ended up getting accepted into the post-bac program here at UC Irvine. So I've been here for a long time. I did the academic enhancing program at the medical school. Honestly, that program, I feel like was the reason I ended up getting into medical school. It's a one-year program where you can, you know, anything that happened before you graduated, that's kind of just like, it's part of your story. You have to own it. It's yours, right? You can kind of just accept it. At this point, I have graduated. So now everything you do at that point is kind of a post-bacc or a post-baccalaureate. So in my head, I was kind of like, I know what kind of student I could be if I didn't have any distractions. If I wasn't you know, president of that club or a member of that organization, if I all I did was study, I know I can be a really good student, which is what you're going to do in med school. You're All you're going to do is study. So I kind of just put my head down and I just studied and I did as much as I could. And I, in my head, I was picturing what is the ideal student in my head, right? A student who's going to be getting really good grades, what do they do on a daily basis to prepare for classes, you know, while they're in class, what do they do afterwards? And I just did that. And for me, that was kind of reviewing a little bit before putting my phone away during class, like sitting in the front row, these little things that added up. And I finished that program with, I want to say maybe like a 3.97, which is, I've never gotten those grades before. So for me, that was kind of validations like I can do this, right? I, just took an entire year of all the classes people typically avoid, like the advanced immunology, advanced biochem, all the classes that you don't really want to take. Uh-huh. I had to take them and I excelled in them.
0: That's amazing, by the way. That's, that's enviable.
1: Thank you. So with that, with the mentorship that I got in the program, the resources we got for the MCAT, all this stuff that I wish I had back when I graduated high school, right from the get-go, I got during this program because of that, I ended up getting into medical school afterwards. So I owe a lot to the post program to kind of taking a chance on me and giving me that opportunity.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that because for a lot of students that find themselves in the middle of their undergrad, you know, unfortunately, a lot of us have those hiccups, you know, maybe we don't do so well in a class or in multiple classes, or we have to work, you know, on the side, and we don't have as much time to dedicate to studying as we want to. But you know, things can mess up our GPA. And then it's like, oh, man, am I ever going to get into medical school with this GPA? But postbac programs are a wonderful option if you find yourself in that situation to just give an extra year of coursework, especially advanced coursework, like you mentioned, to prove to a medical school, hey, I have what it takes. And yours at UC Irvine sounds like it really helped you out. But there are postbac programs across the country. What was it, do you think, looking back on those three years at UC Irvine that made it hard? Part of it was the adjustment you mentioned to the more competitive classes, the higher level classes. What other things made it hard for you to focus on academics? Or was it just a matter of learning bit by bit over time?
1: I think one of the biggest parts was just not knowing what to do next. I was never really taught to ask for help or never really taught to kind of seek guidance or mentorship. I kind of you know, grew up with the mindset of fix it on your own. You right? You have the tools, you do it, you kind of do some stuff on your own. So I kind of had that deeply engraved where even to this day, I'm kind of, you know, I'm still trying to struggle with the mentorship and just asking for advice, especially now that I'm preparing for graduation. So I think that was one of the biggest parts during undergraduate where in kind of the, what I would, you know, tell myself if I can go back, it's just like, just ask for help when you need it there was just a lot of steps. Either I didn't understand things in class and I was scared to ask for help in office hours because I didn't want to be seen as done. Or I had no idea, you know, I just walked out of the counselor's office, nodding my head, like as if I agreed about what prereqs are, not having a single idea what she was just talking about and scared to go back. All these little things where I kind of just thought I had to go through on my own because everyone else kind of seemed like they were doing it on their own. No one else, you never see anyone else ask for help. So it kind of just started solidifying. It's like, oh yeah, you just, that's not what you do. You don't ask for help. So that was one of the hardest things. I think the classes themselves, it's hard, just like any other school. And I was able to kind of figure out how to study. You know, I had my hiccups. I had some good grades some bad grades, but the kind of emotional aspect or like that mental aspect of, am I doing this right? Should I take this class? Should I take that class? I'm not sure what to do. You know, hey, this person, I'm in the same grade as them. They're taking the MCAT. What is that? Do I have to do it? How do I study? all of that kind of stuff. And that kind of led to me, you know, taking the MCAT very much unprepared. So I took it twice overall. The first time I took it mostly because like, hey, everyone else is taking it at this point. Maybe I should be taking it too, right? Like, do you study? Like, I just took, you know, I just, I'm taking college classes, that's kind of studying. So having, that was gonna be the hardest part, not necessarily knowing how to navigate the steps or the requirements that I needed to get to where I wanted to go.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that difficulty of asking for help. I think that's also a really, really common problem that especially first generation students face because we don't have the same role models. Um, And I think there's also a component, at least for me, there was a component because I had the same exact issue in college. (laughs) Like, I was too embarrassed to ask for help. It didn't seem like other people needed help. I wanted to show I was tough and I could do it. There's that pride. But also part of it is a fear of confirming stereotypes, you know, like we represent a Latino community or for me, a Latina female, I represent just by who I am physically. And so there was always, always, I think, an underlying fear, even though I wouldn't necessarily have identified it at the time that if I go and I tell my TA or my professor that I don't understand something, you know, I'm confirming the stereotype about Latina females that we're not cut out for sciences. Was there any of that, do you think, for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember being in different orgs and clubs at UC Irvine and you know, being in it for a couple years and then kind of just looking back and being like, I'm the only brown person here. I'm the only Mexican in this club and the only one that's maybe been here for the last two years. So being very much aware of that. And I think for growing up and you know, progressing through academic career, the idea of growing up as a Mexican male, like that machismo of not, you know, do things on your own. Right. Yeah. You don't ask for help. You get things done and you put your head down and you grind it. So that right. idea, too, is like, do I have to, you know, if I go ask for a question or a clarification, even though I know I desperately need it because I really don't understand what the heck they just talked about for the last hour. Am I going to be seen as be like, oh, OK, yeah, of course, like you're asking the question, right? Because I may be the you know, there was times where I was the only Mexican person in that class, the only brown person in that class. So that, right, kind of almost wanting to do well to kind of represent in a way. Um, yeah, it was definitely kind of that underlying fear that you learn to acknowledge, I guess, kind of moving forward. Sure.
0: What do you think it was that turned a corner for you? You know, what was it that flipped a switch in your mind of like, okay, I need to ask for help. <laughs> I'm going to start going to those advisors, going to those professors, going to office hours. What helped
1: with that? I honestly didn't start doing a lot of that until I got to the postback program. And I didn't do that in the postback program. I mean, the reason I did it in the postback program was because we had to. Yeah that was part of what i really enjoyed in the program where it was a very strict program where it's like you need to you know you need to check in every so often you need to tell me how you're doing with your quizzes with your exams everyone else is going to office hours so like in my cohort for the postdoc program so then i kind of went with them to office hours so having that person that is making you accountable is kind of like hey you just i know you know they have all your exams and all your stuff so like i know you just had took an exam let me know, you know, what is your grade? What did you do? Let's talk about how did it go well, how did it go bad? That's when I first started realizing. And then I'm kind of thinking that, like, because I was doing all of that, that's why I ended up being so successful in the postback program, because I did all those stuff. But honestly, I'm so struggling with trying to ask for help. It's one of those things where even now I know what I want in my career moving forward after graduation. But, you know, it's one of those things even now I, I know it's, it's I need to. Kind of uh, not learn from it, but kind of try to move forward. Where I know I want to ask for help, but should I ask for help? No one else is asking for help. I'm not seeing. So I'm honestly, I'm still struggling with that.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I know that it needs. I think the difference now is just that I know I can do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just kind of still have that like like butterflies in my stomach. It's like, well, if I ask for help, then they'll think that I'm not smart enough to have looked it up on my own or to like figure it out on my own. Then would that like hinder anything in moving forward? Like all these you know, scenarios are kind of moving in your head. I think now I'm just more of a I know I have to do it, but I'm still struggling with like how can I do it? Does uh-huh. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. it never gets easy. I think there's always a little bit of that fear of will I be judged as dumb or like I should have known that if I asked the question. But honestly I think that ninety percent of the time if you ask that question, everybody else in the room was also wanting to know, you know, and wanting to ask and everybody has the same fear. But you know, I think it's one of those things that with practice, it's it gets easier. So you mentioned that you know you can do it now, right? Whereas before, it probably you know was hard to even start. So it's one of those things where practice makes better. It never gets completely yeah. easy, but it does get easier.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I feel like having a couple people. Um, so I've been fortunate now with like I've been able to surround myself with a couple key. Like my dream team, almost where I know those people, those faculty members, I can be vulnerable with because I have been it. They've been vulnerable with me. Those are the people that I know I feel comfortable asking for help. Um, outside of my, you know, my little dream team, that's hard. But there have been some successes, and I, you know, for any advice, it would just be just start. Like pick your one person who you feel comfortable with, and kind of just start there and figuring out how you can best. You know, build and maintain these mentorship relationships and just start off with one person and just see where that takes. And maybe having conversations with that one person you trust will put you in contact with somebody else. And then because, you know, your trusted person puts you in contact, maybe you know, that's how you're going to start building your network and building that support system.
0: I'm glad you mentioned mentorship. Thinking back through, you know, your, you mentioned a community college OCHEM teacher who was a bit of a mentor, at least inspiration to you. What about during your um, university years at UC Irvine or your post-bac, how is it that you found mentors for yourself? Was it hard to approach people? How did that happen?
1: Looking back, I, the biggest mentor I had during my time in undergrad was when I was doing research. Um, so I worked in a lab with a um, professor here, Dr. Bilamec. I started research with him really early on, maybe like a couple months into transferring to UCI. And I stuck with it for the next three years just because, you know, it was one of those things where just having conversations, you know, like frank conversations with him and with everyone else in that research group and everyone kind of like, not necessarily sharing the same identity, but everyone kind of just being respectful and sharing and, you know, opening up that I felt that I knew that was the one person that I can kind of reach out to if, you know, things happen or if whatever. So that was my biggest mentor in the first couple, you know, throughout my entire undergraduate career. Because I did transfer, I didn't feel like I was able to and that kind of goes back again to like my mentality is like I really didn't have that many mentors in undergrad just because I thought that like hey all your mentors you really got as freshmen but I'm coming in through years like like I'm technically a junior can I get a mentor can I not like how does that really work and even if I do what questions do I ask so it was really my group in the research and then you know with that specific PI and being able to just have that safe space that's kind of For me, that was the main mentorship that I got was through my research.
0: Yeah, and that's a wonderful way to, you know, really develop a relationship with the mentors through research, because, you know, with your professors in these classes, like you mentioned, 300, 400 students, how much of a one on one relationship can you really have with your professor, whereas in a research lab, like you're working closely with that person. So I think that's a wonderful way to get a mentor and develop that relationship. So obviously you went ahead and, you know, took the plunge, applied to medical school. What was that process like? You know, were you worried that you wouldn't get in? Did you get in on your first try? What was that like?
1: My path into medical school was different because I did the post-bac. I finished the post-bac and so basically I finished, I want to say spring of 2017. That's kind of when I finished the post-bac. I had my white coat ceremony fall of 2017. Oh, wow. The program that I went through isn't the linkage program. There's no guarantee. There's, you know, there's no guarantee for admission. Honestly, and what I'm saying is like the program we just meant so much. It's just my stars aligned that one year where the stuff, you know, being able to talk to them and showing them who I am and doing good on my exams and my tests and the MCAT and just kind of, you know, almost a, like a year-long interview with the program because they're associated with the medical school. I was just really, really fortunate enough that there was a couple seats open at that time. And, you know, they just asked like, hey, we like you, take the MCAT, we'll see how things go. MCAT fortunately went well, kind of got the call. And I was like, hey, we like your MCAT, would you like to go to med school? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) Um, So my path was a little, you know, I was really, really lucky for that to happen because, you know, I I got the call. I don't know why I still remember this. I got a call like on a Tuesday and saying like, "Hey, congratulations! You got into med school. Celebrated. You start Prime on Thursday. Come back to Irvine because you you start uh-huh. classes on Thursday. And I was I, I had moved back to L.A. at the time, so I was dri- the whole summer I was just driving back and forth with a big old smile on my fi- on my face with like an hour traffic to Irvine and hour traffic back. I didn't care. I was excited.
0: Oh, how exciting! Yeah.
1: But you know, before all that happened, I was making my List of medical schools. And a lot of the things that was taken into account was how many can I even apply to? How many, you know, these are my scores. These are my grades. How many can I afford? Who will actually take me? Kind of having all those things in my head. I was just really fortunate enough to kind of have those, kind of have my stars aligned, like I mentioned, and just be able to be given the opportunity to start right after I finished the program. You know, I went from graduating my undergrad in 2016, started the post right away. Finished the post-bac in 2017, started med school right away. So it's been a busy couple of years, but I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: Well, I'm so glad the stars aligned for you. So now that you're in medical school, you're towards the end of medical school, tell us what has the experience been like for you? What are the first two years like, the preclinical years? What was your third year like?
1: It's been a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the first, I finished, it's, it's the same thing we were talking about before, where I finished a post-bac with... Honestly, the best grades I've ever got into my life. So I started med school with like, I got this until the first exam happened. And I was like, ooh, maybe I don't have this. It's a really kind of quick reality check starting med school. So it's busy. It's a lot of work um, for the first couple of years. Right. Because like the first, the way I usually like to describe it to people is the first year you kind of learn what's normal. You learn, you know, normal anatomy, normal physio, normal biochemistry. Second year, you start learning a little bit more about what's abnormal in medicines, pathology, pharmacology, and whatnot. Third year, you start applying some of that stuff. So for me, first and second year was hard. I was very much a solid, solid average student in the first two years. And at first, it was kind of that idea. It's like, wow, did they make a mistake by letting me in? Everyone's doing so well. Here I am sitting in the middle of the pack, and I don't know what I'm doing. And then I kind of took a step back where... I remember community college and thinking, "It's like, wow, med students are, you know, they're hit. They're this, you know, the cream of uh-huh. the crop. They're super smart." And I started thinking about that. It's like I'm surrounded by a hundred other super, super kind and smart people. I'm average of those people, so like I'm really happy. Like I'm a uh-huh. very, very smart person. So like I kind of started thinking about that myself. Like, look, yeah, I'm average, but I'm average at a medical school. That is okay. So at that point on, I was kind of just the first two years I was balancing my mental health and school. I wanted to do well and I wanted to learn as much as I can. But in my head, I wasn't going to do it at an extreme where I kind of jeopardized happiness or jeopardized you know my mental health, essentially. So I found that sweet balance. I knew I could have done maybe a little bit more, but I don't know if I would have been as happy in the first two years. So for me, that was that was a perfect balance. A solid average score is the first two years of med school. when I kind of, you know, I left okay. And I loved happy. Um, Third year was where I, I loved third year. It was kind of where I was able to leave the unfamiliarity of school and lectures. And even though I've done it for my whole life, it's still super vague and unfamiliar to now I get to go talk to people. And that's kind of when I started, you know, getting the feedback from residents and attendings and from patients and that third year kind of started validating it's like oh okay like maybe i'm not necessarily just one of those average students getting average scores like i have something to give like i have a unique skill set so when i was starting to four in the morning waking up patients because of surgery or something you know being able to talk to them and learning about their story you know speaking spanish to them and seeing them light up and like seeing the stress literally kind of just fall off of their shoulders All those little things kind of really reinforced why I wanted to do medicine. It's like, wow, like I'm finally talking to people. I'm not just reading a book or doing flashcards on my computer. So I love third year Every rotation had its highs and lows, but I really just enjoyed all of it. It was hard, long hours, um, six days a week sometimes, but it was great.
0: I think your experience really highlights sort of the fact that you can only put so much stock in test scores, right? A test score by itself and how you do in those classes, I mean, obviously you need to know anatomy and physiology and pharmacology and all that stuff to a certain extent to be a good doctor. But just because you're quote-unquote average on those tests, it doesn't mean you're going to be only an average doctor. Because like I like to say, patients don't walk into a room with a multiple choice question on their head, right? It's not, people are not multiple choice questions. People involve listening skills and communication skills, which, you know, with you being able to speak Spanish, that was really an asset to you and serving many of your patients, I'm sure. And just being a doctor involves so much more than just being good at taking tests. And so I love that you mentioned that because I had a similar transition going from, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired of taking tests and being in a classroom and lectures. So all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, I get to deal with real people and help people with their problems. And all of this studying has been worth it to get to this point. (laughs) So thank you for sharing that.
1: It's nice to talk to the now at this point where it's kind of crazy to say, but like towards the tail end of med school, being able to talk to the first years and being like, look, you know, some of the students where I kind of see similarities of when I was a first year. I was like, look, just put your head down and grind the first two years. And that's really what first two years are and just stunning. Third year is kind of where, you know, for me, that's where I was able to shine. I was the one happy to go talk to the patient or go explain the discharge summaries or go talk, you know, take that extra time to just go and get an interpreter because I don't speak that language. All these little things that I feel like helped me stand out in third year. I kind of take that and just go back and talk to some of the first years, first and second years, be like, hey, I know first and second years is rough. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Your feelings and everything, that's perfectly valid for a lot of you. Third year is going to be one of the best years of med school.
0: So tell us a little bit about your master's in public health now. So you're towards the end of finishing that year. What has that been like? What have you gotten to study? What have you loved about that program?
1: Kind of before I did the MPH, the Master's in Public Health, I wasn't sure what I really wanted to do. I was balancing. I was debating between Master's in Business and Master's in Public Health, and I wasn't sure. So one of those members of my dream team, my mentors, I just asked, I have no idea what to do. And for me, it was a really cool thing where I was shadowing at the time, and you know, she got two residents. And I was like, hey, this resident got an MBA. This resident has an MPH. I need you two to talk to Alejandro and help him figure out his life. So I just explained, this is kind of what I want, you know, how I see my career in the future. This is what I want to do with my specialty, with my job and so on and so forth. And the MBA person was like, MBA is not for you, man. Go get an MPH. So I ended up at the MPH and I'm really happy with the decision. You know, a lot of you know, my reasons for medical school with like serving the underserved and kind of being a champion and an advocate for, for patients. I knew I had a lot of these feelings of what I wanted to do, but I never had the language of how to describe them. For example, like doing, you know, we did a research project and we worked with the community and this idea within our group is like, hey, once we finish the research, we want to go back and talk to the people who helped us and make sure we communicate with, you know. Now I know that, you know, community-based participatory research. And I'm able to have the language to be able to communicate a lot of this stuff in an academic setting. Mm -hmm. I'm able to, you know, have the tools and the frameworks to be able to build Programs to do like needs assessments to figure out a lot of these things that I want to do in the future for the you know working with the community and in the hospital and in the medical schools. I feel like the entire MPH year is kind of just like you know filling up my toolbox with how to do certain things, um, how to talk about certain things. You know who are going to be the key stakeholders for this? Who's going to give you the money for that? Who's going to be the ones that you have to convince to get a buy-in? So I think I mean just my opinion that I feel like every med student should have some sort of public health training. So I'm just really happy with kind of the year that's, I'm a little bit more than halfway now, and I've learned so much more than I thought I was going to.
0: Wonderful. Has it been a little bit of a break from sort of the grind of medical school for you?
1: Yeah, because medical school, it's really just, you got to memorize and you got to study and just, you're constant, go, 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 go. The MPH is still hard, right? It's not an easy year, but it's different where, for example, this quarter, I have, I want to say maybe like four 10 page papers that I have to write, which seems like a lot, but I have 10 weeks. I can like sit down and I finish most of them in like the first four weeks. So kind of you have a lot more free time. So it's busy work, but it's different. It's a lot more reading and writing than you do in med school. So it's hard in that regard because I haven't had to read and write that much for a long time, but it's also not wake up and study 12 hours a day, constantly on my computer doing flashcards and doing test questions. So It's still difficult, but there is that almost kind of a side, like I can just take a break and I'm not just on, on, on 24-7, which is nice, but I'm kind of starting to miss the hospital. (laughs) I'm kind of starting to miss it a little bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, in just a few short months, you're going to be back in the hospital starting your fourth year as a medical student. So it sounds like you're looking forward to that. What lies ahead for you? Obviously, in fourth year, you start to apply to residency programs. Tell us about what specialty you'll be applying to.
1: I will be applying to emergency medicine. So this summer, I'm going to start with some rotations in the emergency department. And then, yeah, this fall, I'll be submitting my application.
0: Where would you like to end up if you had, you know, if you had the choice? Honestly,
1: I don't know. There's a couple programs in my head that I'm really interested in. But the way I'm currently thinking about it is, I know what I want my career to look like. I know I want to, you know, I want to Pursue faculty positions. I want to do um, like leadership or administrative positions. I, you know, I want to have the opportunity to work with the community. I want to do all these things in my head in the future. I'm also married and we're planning on having kids. And I want to make sure that I find a place where not only like where both me and my family and as a whole can thrive. Right. So I have all these kind of pictures in my head. And it's like that for me is the first priority. This is kind of what I want. This is what I want my career to look like. And this is what I want. For my family, then I'm going to start to figure out like, okay, which programs fit that? So I'm kind of, I'm using as my first priority, just family and kind of my vision for the future. And then figuring out, it's like, okay, out of that, maybe these, I don't know, for example, 30 programs allow me to have that out of these 30, which ones do I actually like? Which ones, you know, do I want to live in the snow? Do I want to stay in California? Like, where do I want to go? So that's kind of what I will start narrowing narrow things down, I think. Right now, everything's kind of open because we haven't had interviews yet. Maybe at this point next year when I've had all my interviews and I know which programs are more, you know, which ones I'm going to be ranking to match, mm-hmm. that's when I'm going to start figuring out. It's like, okay, well, I have these 12 to 15 programs, which one fits best with my ideal view of my future? So that's kind of how I'm picturing it right now. And right now, is there's a couple programs I like, but I really... I have no idea.
0: <laughs> well, that's great. It's good to keep an open mind anyway, because if you get your heart set on one program and you don't get in, then that's even harder. So I'm glad you're yeah. keeping an open mind. If you don't mind me asking, what is it that drew you to the field of emergency medicine?
1: I didn't come into Mexico wanting to do emergency. Uh-huh. Um, I actually came in, I want to say, I came in wanting wanted to do pediatrics. Honestly, my idea switched so much in the first couple of years. Um, I really started getting interested in EM. I first found out about EM first year when I was shadowing. So that's when it just first kind of a blip on my radar. As I kind of progressed through school, like a lot of med students are like, well, I want to do this. Never mind. I want to do this. And you kind of just honestly just rotate specialties in your head until graduation. And that's kind of what you end up with. So for me, I knew that I wanted something that has kind of a balance between clinical work and for me, like clinical work that excites me and community work. I, I never envisioned my career to be just in the hospital. I, it's almost kind of just using that platform of being a doctor and having that knowledge to be able to go outside of the hospital and make a difference and work, you know, public health, public policy at the medical school, something outside of the hospital. So the more I kind of started learning about, you know, social determinants and having that language about like health inequities, systemic racism in medicine, a lot of my mentors were also emergency medicine physicians. So shadowing with them, and seeing them ask these questions in the ed where they're prescribing someone a medication and then the very next question is hey this you know this medication costs x amount is that affordable we also have these other options or hey like you know this is uncontrollable so and so that might be related to food and then talking about food insecurity and i was like who asked these questions like i've never seen another physician like ask these questions and then, Just for me, I kind of fell in love with that dual responsibility of the emergency medicine physician, where you have an acute emergency, I can help you in the hospital, and I have the tools and resources to help you in the hospital. But I also, at least I feel that emergency physicians have a responsibility to also step out of the hospital and go help those, right? There's a safety net. You see everybody and anybody in the ED. So for me to be able to have the opportunity to go to step outside of the hospital and make a difference out in the community that can maybe prevent some of those acute emergencies, that's kind of when I started, like, this is it. This is for me. Like, I love the aspect of the ED, the organized chaos of the emergency department. So I, I fell in love with, you know, I really, really like that. When I started figuring out, it's like, hey, I can do that and be a social advocate and you know, work with the community. At that point, I was sold.
0: That's great. I love that. And I love that you had some good role models that were asking those questions about things like food insecurity and can you afford your medicine. That, that sounds wonderful. That they were aware enough to be doing that. One of the most common questions I get from you know high school and college students that are considering being doctors is how did you pay for medical school? So if you don't mind us asking, um, obviously it sounds like you came from more humble circumstances, uh, like many of us did. How did you pay for school?
1: I'm very much an open book. I feel like a lot of this information is almost like privileged information. And unless you know somebody in it, then you don't really know. So I'm happy to answer all these questions because I didn't know any of this. So I'm paying through school, through the government. I'm just paying through loans. Honestly, I kind of see it. it's a lot of money and it's looking at it. Sometimes it's a little bit terrifying knowing how much I'm in debt. It's really easy to forget when you're studying for exams and you're in rotations of how much you actually owe back. So that can be terrifying. But I honestly just saw it as like, I've been wanting to do this my entire life. This is my shot, right? This is going to be an investment. So I'm I'm really just paying this through loans. Um, I get a chunk of financial aid at the beginning of the quarter. We divvy that up with like, this is much going to go to rent. This much goes to groceries. um, This much goes to just being happy going out to the movies and all this pre-COVID fun stuff, Uh and then just saving the rest. That's kind of just how we're living. Almost like quarter to quarter, trying to figure out whenever financial aid comes in. The school has a really good financial aid program. They're able to help you out. The prime program offers some financial aid help a little bit. One of the advices that I got early on was seeing this much debt, especially kind of how you know my family grew up, for me, it's kind of like, oh my goodness, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But You know, what I was told early on is just getting some financial advice. Even as a resident, I'm going to start making so much more money than I've ever made in my life. Even as a first year, you know, as an intern, I've never made that kind of money, let alone as an attending. Right. So to be honest, once I become an attending, my wife and I are going to be making money that we've never seen before. We have no idea what this means. So we, you know, we started talking. We started talking about possibly getting like some sort of like financial advisor or something, someone to maybe help us navigate this because us, nor our families have really had this kind of income before. And we just want to make sure we do it responsibly, especially because we have, I don't know, I want to say maybe around $250,000 in debt from med school. So being able to kind of being a little bit more financially responsible because we are living off of loans and then interests are going to kick in. Um, there are scholarships that you can pursue. I got a couple, but it wasn't $5,000 here, another 5000 there. It wasn't enough to make a big dent.
0: Sure. Thank you for sharing about that. I just ask because it is a question on the forefront of a lot of students' minds. You know, we, especially coming from a background where money is so scarce, you really think about it, you really worry about, am I ever going to be able to pay that off? And like you mentioned, doctors make very good salaries overall, so if you do work as a physician after your training you will be able to pay it off that's what i like to tell students so one last question alejandro uh, while we have you here if you could give you know these late high school college students one piece of advice what would it be
1: it is just gonna sound cheesy but just not to give up i've seen so many people you know starting off at first year community college you have a lot of these people who are going to be pre-meds and everybody kind of wants to do this and just seeing so many people fall off because of one obstacle or, or this barrier or whatever happens. But I've seen people apply to med school multiple times, apply to the postdoc multiple times who are now are graduating or are now, you know, who are now physicians. And it's really just those that really have a calling who really want to do this as a profession are going to get into medical school, whether it's right after you graduate college, whether it's a couple years later, whenever it happens, as long as you just keep applying, keep going, you know, keep learning from your mistakes and just keep not stopping, you're going to get into medical school. And you can think of it as a, you had mentioned earlier about there's a bunch of different paths to get into medicine. Yours is unique. It's your path for a reason, right? The way I got into medical school was definitely not a straight path. It took a a little bit of winds and turns, a couple of U-turns there, but I feel so lucky with the people that I'm in med school. You're going to get into medical school with the people that you're meant to get into medical school with. I don't. I can't imagine going through these last four years with anybody else other than my prime cohort and you know, my, my solid people. So you can think of it as like, maybe if you didn't get in this year, it's because you know your people are applying next year and that's when you're going to get in. Your, your, your dream team is applying in two years and that's when you're meant to get into med school. As long as you just keep going, you're going to get in.
0: Wonderful advice. I completely agree. Well, thank you so much, Alejandro, for taking the time to be with us today, for sharing your story. I think many listeners will find it inspiring and motivating for their own journey, for their own path to medical school. So thank you so much for sharing.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
0: All right. And thanks, listeners, for tuning in. Until next time.